Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is the technology that automated 60 million shipments with my friend Chad Olison. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this podcast. Uh, Chad and his team over at AVRL out in Austin, Texas, have created a technology that does a lot of the automation in our systems. So you have a transportation management system and warehouse management systems. We have ERPs. All these systems have to connect, and we expect that connection to be better every day and Chad and his team over at AVRL are making that happen. I'm not so sure I followed everything he said, but I love what they're doing. And by the way, this is a, a stunning thing. Chad and his team are very, not very well known deliberately. And if you go to their website, it uh, just says we work with 18 companies a year. They work with more than half of the top 103 PLs. So that tells you they're doing something good. And I think he said sometime during the interview that if they if they really need them, they'll find them. So they are doing some very good work. So check this out. But before we get into the conversation with Chad, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. Tusk is a small parcel shipping network. Said it before, I'll say it again. I've interviewed Ben Emmerich on my podcast, and he's the, the founder of one of the founders, I believe, at Tusk. And what they've done is they've created a technology that connects small parcel, regional small parcel carriers. So if you're an e-commerce guy or you're a warehouse guy and you do a lot of e-commerce shipping and you're doing a lot of small parcel shipping, you're working with the big guys, UPS, FedEx, maybe USPS, great options. But Tusk can save you 40%, 40% on your small parcel shipments. And what they've done is they've connected with technology to a number of small parcel, regional small parcel carriers that typically provide better service in their regions. And so he's able to cover most of the country already, and they're always adding new regional carriers. So it's a fantastic option. First of all, you're going to get better service. Then you get Tusk, which has got some great tech themselves, and then you get 40% savings. So check out Tusk over at tusklogistics.com. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. And when you go to their website, there's uh, right at the top, it says get started. Just click on that button and check out my friends over at Tusk. So how's it going, Chad? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Doing great, doing great. I'm very excited to talk to you, Chad. I know you guys are doing some very cool things. We talked for a long time the other day, and then before we hit record today, a very unknown company, I think, although I've seen the name, I just don't think many people know what you guys are up to, and hopefully that changes today, although I don't think you guys particularly care. As you said to me, if they need us, they'll find us. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Awesome. My name is Chad Olison. I'm the CEO of a company called AVRL. I'm in Austin, Texas. Most people uh, don't recognize the skyline anymore. AVRL is a rapid application development platform that 3PLs, carriers, shippers use to connect disparate systems. I've been funded by SAP to come in and do a lot of work to connect TMS to TMS, TMS to shipper portal, TMS to WMS without APIs. And uh, we've been in the market in transportation logistics for almost three years now. Yep. And you 
<laughs> obviously you've done 60 million shipments. That's a ton. I don't, I don't know how many shipments there are nationwide every year, but that, that's a nice chunk of them. Everybody I talk to says, we connect this system to the next system. Our API connects us to the next system. I hear that all the time. And I know you guys are different. And I'm and being a layman, I'm going to ask a whole bunch of dumb questions. So please explain to me what makes you guys different from all the other techs that are out there connecting this, connecting all uh, the technologies. Yeah. So unfortunately, in transportation and logistics, shipper doesn't necessarily like the carrier. Carrier doesn't necessarily like the 3PL. 3PL doesn't really necessarily get along with other people. And so APIs actually don't exist in much of transportation's workflows. And so when you are a 3PL or an asset-based carrier and you want to do work with, let's say, an Amazon or a Walmart, you have to work inside of their systems without APIs. And unfortunately, for today's modern day 3PLs and carriers, you have to build massive teams to support shippers. And whether that's scheduling appointments, buying spot freight, uploading PODs, BOLs, lumpers, etc., you need to staff people. And what we do is we actually connect those systems without APIs and eliminate the execution across those systems. So... First off, could you explain a little bit what an API is and why why those kind of were good for the industry? At least I hear a lot of people saying they're good for the industry. I think it depends on... So API is communication layer between two systems is how they connect and, and talk to one another. I actually don't necessarily think that they're good for one another. And when you And that's a theory based off of what we see in the market. If you talk about real-time rating or connecting via real-time quoting, it's actually not good. The shipper understands that they can massively reduce transportation spend because the market data in which 3PLs and carriers use to quote is three days old at best. And so they're using it as a way to drive costs lower, which means that the 3PL makes less money, the carrier makes less money. And so while an API for, let's say, quoting in theory, is good because it's faster communication. It's actually much harder to quote within 10 seconds. And I would actually say that real-time rating APIs are eroding margin from the carrier. Yep. Well, it's... (laughs) He said some things in there, and again, I'm, I'm not I'm not disputing what you're saying. I just I hear different things on my podcast, and I'm trying to understand. So you said that real time rating. So let's just say I have a I'm a carrier, and I'm somebody can somebody has asked me a price, and I, it goes through a system. Uh, why is that three days old? Well, where do you get your market data from? Oh, if I got it from one of the. Maybe it's internal. Maybe I say I know what that lane costs, but maybe I went to some of the other systems that are out there. So let's just take maybe the best in class system that exists in the market. And I don't say best in class is like the greatest one because that's dependent on the 3PL. But let's say you want to use DAT's like rate view or rate cast system. It's a three-day average. You look at Sonar, it's a seven-day average. You look at a system like a green screens, it's also an average based off of the yesterday's data. And so when you're a shipper requesting a quote within 10 seconds and you got to give it to me in 10 seconds, that's how long the gateway is open, you are using old data. It's impossible not to use old data. Right. Well, yeah, you you, you always will have to have, it'll always be based on something with historic, right? But it's a matter of how far back in history do I want to go? I want the latest and greatest information. And we just got done with COVID. I'm going to knock on wood, just make sure it doesn't come back. 
we just got rid of COVID for the most part, but we had a time where one day the rates just skyrocketed. And I always think that was something that brand new in the market. And by the way, I had friends who called me and said, should I renegotiate my rates with my carriers? Because I think there's going to be a lot less freight. And uh, so I want to get better rates from all my carriers. And I, I was like, Mm, I go, I thought you wanted partners. And he said, yeah, I do. I said, I would just, they were contracted rates. I said, leave them. And uh, two weeks later, rates went through the roof. <laughs> and and that was something that I would want systems like the ones you just described to give me some insight because my, my uh, tribal knowledge internally doesn't tell me enough. Yeah, I'm not... I'm not saying that rating engines are bad and everybody needs to understand market data. But if you are trying to quote for a pick, let's say tomorrow, that's before 6 a.m. and you're using old data to do that, how how could you? It's it's You need to look at multiple factors. And when a shipper gives you a threshold of 10 seconds to respond, they absolutely have the upper hand. They're the house all day long. And that's on both sides of the market. What you just described is, you know, we were asking if we should go in and renegotiate rates with our shipping partners. That's exactly what I'm talking about is that when people don't get along, it's that everyone wants to hedge against the market when it's good for them. And then when the capacity tightens and it's good for the 3PLs and carriers, everyone's unhappy. And it's just this constant back and forth of being unhappy. And I think that that's what's led to the lack of APIs and technology infrastructure in the market today. Right. So again, back to the title here, Chad, we talked, you said you did 60 million shipments automated. So you're the automated those. And you said that is a small number compared to what you will do this coming year. Yeah. So explain that because it means you're working with, and you're a pure technology company. So that means you're working with a lot of, a lot of companies, right? Yeah. We're working with over 50% of the top 103 PLs. And whoa, when you whoa, look say that again. Fifty percent, over fifty percent of the top one hundred three PLs and carriers. So that's why when when you said when you said if they need us, they'll find us. There's a lot of companies yeah, finding. We've you. grown one almost one hundred percent via word of mouth. And when we talk about let's say automating, like let's say quoting for some companies in that top ten, top twenty five, we've increased their net new shipment counts by three hundred percent. We're not talking like small wins here. We're talking about big wins. And it's one of the reasons why we've continued to stay quiet and not advertise. When you didn't see it as a manifest was that we believe that what our secret sauce is, is that we know the market better than than our competitors. We know the use cases. We know the areas in which we need to automate and the gaps in which logistics has created with this fragmentation of people not getting along in the industry. Yeah. Now, when you say your technology now, do you guys have like a technology platform that you're connecting everybody to? Or is that you? Okay. We have so two types that. of technology. One is a rapid application development platform. Um, this is where a 3PL or a carrier would build the logic in which they want an automation to run on. The second piece of technology that we have is actually a custom browser that we built that allows us to manipulate the HTML of websites. And that second piece of technology is really important. Um, you know, pre us entering the market, a lot of companies tried to use a technology called robotic process automation to come in and 
and run automation. Yeah, it's still a thing, isn't it? I mean, a lot I of mean, companies they are, and I think that. that RPA definitely has a place, and it has a place on internal systems. But if you tried to run robotic process automation on an Amazon site, it'll be broken all day, every day. And I think that it's proven to fail on web-based workflows. And so a lot of companies have been looking for that next evolution in automation. We happen to be that company. It's kind of a right place at the right time situation. Yep. And by the way, guys, when we talk about robotic process automation, we've we've had some podcasts on that in the past. And what we mean by that is it might be a rule-based thing where an email that comes in, you have some sort of bot that recognizes that email and then says, that's an email asking for a quote. I'm going to put it into the TMS and the TMS is going to respond to it. Or maybe the TMS is waiting for me to you know, process it. But theoretically, if I'm getting 300 emails a day from people saying, give me a quote, it could go through my TMS and give me a buy now. And I think there's a lot of companies that have kind of moved to that, which sounds like a huge gain compared to a few years ago when they would have been doing it all with clerks. But what you're saying is there are some, that that's not the ultimate tech, that what you guys are doing is, is a better system for that. It's more resilient. We can run buffers on pages. We can speed up. We can add buttons. I can essentially control the browser how I want to control it. And why that becomes important is we went in and built templates for all major shippers and TMSs. And so when we come in, we come in and connect a template and work with a 3PL on their logic. And that logic could be, you know, I want to automate a pick with P&G and a drop with Dollar General on live shipments. And what we'll do is connect their TMS to go schedule a drop with Dollar General, do reverse math back, set the pick with P&G. They'll receive the EDI and I can kill that entire section of my business. And where a lot of these larger 3PLs are really winning is, yeah, we're going in and we're maximizing yield by increasing bidding and tender acceptance, but I'm also going in and reducing cost to carry at the same time. They're trying to pad a margin so that they can be more competitive when capacity tightens again, and they'll be able to own lanes. And what we talk to our customers about a lot is owning capacity. How do I make sure that if I have a carrier that moves Chicago to Memphis every week, I can get them freight regardless of which shipper it comes from. Maybe it's a commodity. Maybe it's a type of or a mode of transportation, et cetera. Interesting, interesting. Well, I'm going to circle back and talk about some of the customer segments you work with in a minute, some of the problems you solve. But tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started AVRL. Yeah, so I grew up in Willamette Valley in Oregon. My family owns a grass seed farm out there. And so I, if you follow me on Oh, I was just out there. My kids live out in Portland. So I was just out there in that valley. Cool. So my family are grass seed farmers and they own a custom cleaning business. And essentially what ended up happening was I went, I grew up playing baseball. I went and played like competitive collegiate baseball and so working on some natural language processing. My brother-in-law happened to be going to Cornell at that same time and introduced me to someone who was going to Cornell. Uh, He's my CTO now. We met, uh, worked on our technology there, brought it out of Cornell. That technology was built based off of natural language processing, um, so converting unstructured data to like structured data formats. Did you go to Cornell for school or did you just go there to start a business? (laughs) So we just started a business. Nikolai was going there at that time um, when we met. 
and uh, we pulled that technology out of some projects that he was working on. So are you still affiliated with Cornell? I mean, do they have to, you have to, how does that work when you're developing something with them or is it just? It's, it's not, they didn't make an investment. They don't own any IP. We own all the IP. So Cornell's in upstate New York, right? It is. I think that, so if you look at most of my teams, like LinkedIn profiles, it shows no colleges. And the funny thing about that is when you're raising money from Silicon Valley, like if you didn't go to Stanford, you didn't go anywhere. And so the disrespect is real on the West Coast. (laughs) I just interviewed Chris Kaplis, who is a professor at MIT, and he also works with DAT. He's kind of their chief scientist over there. And man, it was a breath of fresh air because he was saying, you know, we're going to get away from the, the, the whole credentialism that we've kind of lived with for so many years. By the way, move into the screen so you're kind of off screen. And, and he talked about um, micro master's uh, program where you could do most of it, uh, uh, you know, off campus. And if you want to get the full master's, you jump on onto campus. And I feel like I feel like we've had so much weirdness around degrees. And by the way, I worked in automotive most of my career. It was credentials, credentials, credentials. And it was crazy because I got my degree at night and I got my master's at night. And why? Because it mattered in that space. But you know what? I still had the wrong degrees. <laughs> like, I always remember thinking, it doesn't matter what you do at work if you don't have the right degrees. And that's a silly, silly thing. And I think that you're seeing so many big companies saying we don't care anymore. And I'm assuming AVRL is not going to discriminate against people who didn't go to college. <laughs> I mean, we definitely don't discriminate against anybody. That that said, I mean, we do have tests that people have to pass in order to work at AVRL. And so when you look at our team, we're about 100 and roughly 90 engineers out of that 100 it's really difficult to pass our engineering tests, but if doesn't matter if you went to college or not, we don't care. Yeah, I, I feel like um, in this day and age when, with YouTube and all the online resources, you can learn so much. And by the way, also, you get to be my age, you realize that a lot of the guys I worked with had mechanical engineering degrees. The world of automotive became electronic in the last 25, 30 years. And so I remember a lot of those guys say, like, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not an electronic engineer. Well, if you're releasing the new door, you better figure out how electronics work. So that's kind of the nature of, uh, you know, technology. But anyway, so you were, met your partner and, and what's his name? His name's Nikolai. So you met Nikolai at, at Cornell. And you started this company. Now, do you start it at Cornell or do you guys move right to Austin? No, we actually, so when we actually worked on the technology for a couple of years, like after he graduated, uh, we didn't launch the company until 2017. And we found, I think we founded the company. So Delaware company, obviously, but we were in Seattle for six years. You've only been in Austin for about a year and a half. So not very long. Oh, now I'm curious. Why'd you move from Seattle to um, Austin? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on camera. No, um, <laughs> Seattle is very difficult to do business in, and they changed their capital gains structure uh, at the end of 2021. They implemented an eight and a half percent capital gains tax in King County, and it just—it's not a viable place to run a business from, especially in software. And so we were looking across multiple states. I needed to move my team out of Washington, people out of California, people out of Oregon and Phoenix. And so we ended up looking at, you know, we looked at 
Tampa and Sarasota, like everyone. We looked at Nevada. Nevada was I, no Idaho, go. Yeah. Wyoming. <laughs> yeah, and Texas is was a better fit for our culture, better fit for recruiting engineering talent. I actually wrote this post online this morning that since we moved to Austin, we've increased our engineering capacity by about 160%, and that's headcount. And I would say that it's going to be really hard to to beat Austin as an engineering uh, co- like as an engineering platform. I think that it's one of the most exciting like engineering cities in the country right now. You know, it's a funny thing, and I'm 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 I. No one will dispute what you just said. There is a very exciting place, and what's also interesting to me is I'm from I'm from the Detroit area. I, I worked in automotive. I used to work for Silicon Valley company, and I remember I used to say they always say they would kind of disparage Detroit, and I was like. Dude, you make toys. We're making $40,000 cars. We're selling millions of them. I said, and after a while, they, after you spend a lot of time in, in automotive, you realize they've got tech that beats most anywhere. But also, you kind of go to New York and you go, you got to give credit to what they're doing. Just talked to um, J- Justin ba- Bailey from um, Toronto. I know he was went through Y Combinator. He had to come to California, but they're back in Toronto. And he said, if he was to start it again, he goes, I probably wouldn't have to go to California for for money or t- technology. And I feel like you could say that of Indianapolis. There's so many places now that just have incredible tech infrastructure, the people, the the culture that's just built built to win. Yeah, absolutely. So you started the company what year officially? 2017. And now how did you get business with the 50, more than 50% of the top 100 3PLs? So we've worked with a lot of the large 3PLs. We did a fireside chat with ArcBest and we had increased their net new shipment count by 300%. That kind of drives business our way. And I think one of the things that's interesting about transportation logistics I don't know if I like this term, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's very ancestral market. And it's ancestral from the sense that a lot of people came from Coyote. And so when I look at a lot of our contracts, it's like when that company blew up, someone took us to one company, another person took us to another company, another person took us to another company, and they continue to talk. And that has been really interesting for us and our strategy. We had told our VC partners that we weren't going to advertise, we weren't going to invest in a marketing team. And if our tech was a perfect fit and we found product market fit, it would take it would take off by itself. And it's proven to be true. And I, I think if we did it again, it probably wouldn't happen, but it happened. So here we are. So you mentioned your technology, getting back to that. So what problem were you guys looking to solve when you started this company? So when we first started the company, we had a ton of intellectual property on natural language processing. And we've worked with a lot of the large... Is, I don't even know what that is. What is natural? I hear, I hear the term. It. So converting unstructured data into structured data formats. So like the probably the largest platform of natural language processing would be Amazon Alexa. So when you speak into that device, a microphone measures pressure waves and it turns those pressure waves into unstructured data. After that, you have natural language processing that takes that unstructured text and it turns it into a language that a machine can read or understand. Got it. That's what we're really good at doing. We worked with, we've worked with a lot of major oil and gas companies, a lot of lar- the largest retailers, a lot of the largest CPG companies, 
And one of those largest retailers introduced me to an intermodal company at the end of 2019. And that's what we ended up finding transportation. But when you look across the spectrum, there's this fundamental flaw that exists in supply chain, which is if you're a shipper and you run a legacy ERP system, almost all of them do, (laughs) you can't connect that ERP system to your TMS or to your WMS. And so a hypothetical here. If you're Walmart and you run ECC six and it's over here and you run, Wait, is, what is what is that? Is that just SAP? SAP ERP, yeah, system. You run that SAP system. It doesn't necessarily connect to your carrier point, which might not connect to your proprietary WMS. This is a really big problem because that means that you don't even understand when you're picking product today what's at risk for out of stock because all of your inventory lives in your ERP. Your trucking inbound and outbound is coming either from like a retail link or a carrier point and your WMS holds all of your product. And so what ends up happening is it creates multiple fragmentation points inside of your warehouse. So you could have a truck that's heading outbound that leaves in an hour and in two hours you could have a truck coming inbound that has all of the product that you need to send outbound. That's a problem when you're a CPG company because you might have out of stocks that were supposed to go to a Walmart and you send them out of stocks, which means you get penalized, you get fines, etc. You can solve a lot of those problems by processing data and transforming it from system to system to system. So they have, so you mentioned Walmart and they're using SAP. This is all hypothetical. And they want to connect to WMS and TMS. They were connected before 2019, I'm assuming, right? I, it was a hypothetical, but I would say that you're incorrect. So there had to be an order system that connected to the WMS, right? A lot of times it doesn't necessarily connect the way that you're thinking that it connects. So in that example that I had given you, let's in that example of a truck going outbound, a truck coming inbound, they can look through a massive sheep humans beings going and trying to find at-risk products that maybe are going outbound, but they're not in store or in the inventory. And so you have people who are going and picking product to build pallets. They're marking those as out-of-stock items, even though they might be at arrival and being inbound, but they haven't been checked into inventory yet. And they can't do it because their systems aren't connected and synced the way that you think that they are. So, so it, by the way, I, I joke about this on my podcast, and it's the truth. I talk to people who are kind of on the cutting edge of stuff like yourself. And then the, the tendency is for people who listen to podcasts like mine go, oh, yeah, we're all connected. We're all high tech. <laughs> right? all lying. <laughs> but but there is there is a whole bunch of gaps and what i've learned along the way from my experience working is you always think that there's gaps in the small companies of course there are but they also it's easier for them to manage with a few extra clerks it's the big companies that have enormous volume that is really the challenge now granted they have budget to go pay for things but you said something about your work with arcbest since you mentioned them, let's talk about that. So you went to them. What was the problem they were having that you helped solve? So it's not necessarily thought of as a problem in the industry. Problem is a mindset. And what a lot of people try and do is... Opportunity. <laughs> when you look at it as a problem, is like they're growing revenue consistently, etc. But when they need to buy freight from the secondary market or the spot market, they use human beings to go and buy that freight. 
they really should be automating the procurement of freight from the secondary market. And so when you think of like the problem, that traditionally means that like something's not being done. What they're not doing is they're not maximizing yield as much as they should be, which means that they're probably only looking at, you know, 10, 20, 30 percent of the market of the freight in the market. They should be doing is looking at all of the freight that they should be procuring. And so they started implementing our technology to go in and automate the procurement of spot freight. And that is what we solve from that for them. And I say solve as the problem is maximizing yield. It's it's a problem that every single 3PL and carrier struggles with. Maximizing yield of what, one business? Of one business, yeah, procured freight. Yeah, and I do know this is an industry that traditionally has had tons of manual processes and people that did those manual processes. And before we hit record, we were talking about this idea, and I think it's true, I've said it before on my podcast, is we're getting to a place of haves and have-nots. The companies that are able to use technology like yours are able to re- go faster. They're able to go do things less expensively, and they're probably higher quality. And at some point, it's going to be hard to compete with them. And by the way, I remember this one time when I was still doing logistics. We quoted something. And by the way, we mostly had strategic business, so we didn't quote day-to-day on stuff. But we quoted something, and the guy said, no, somebody else won that business. And we paid this much. And I remember that cost that he gave me was low. <laughs> the, the price that he gave me was lower than my cost. And I was like, there's somebody out there who's, who's their, their price is lower than my cost. I was like, how can that possibly be? I think it was a backhaul situation. But it was, uh, but it was crazy to me. I was like, whoa, that's what you get. And they were a leader in the space. And I was like, they... They had technology and the volume that allowed them to be that much better than us on a selected lane. Probably on a lot of selected lanes, to be honest. Probably the ones that they want to win. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. That's that's actually what we see. So one of our plays is we want to look at all freight in the market. But it's not to buy more freight. It's to be more concentrated on what I want to buy. And the only way to do that is to understand exactly what's being as what is available in the market. And so I think people think of like automation. And when I say maximizing yield is like, we're just going to blow up their volume. They're not going to be able to support it. What you do is you get more concentrated on the lanes and shipments that you want to win. And you're doing it at the same time they're reducing cost. To your point, they are driving their costs down so that they can own a lane, not just participate on it like normal or what has traditionally happened. They will own those lanes. Yeah, and well, that's that's what happens when you focus, right? It's If you, you guys have focused your energies at AVRL, um, if you said we're going to solve every problem under the sun, you would not have seen the success you have. So is, who, I know you mentioned you did some work in oil and gas. It, who is your sweet spot for your business? We focus mostly on transportation and logistics. And when you think of like our sweet spot today, it's 3PLs and carriers who understand that nearshoring, it might be important, but it's not going to be what's going to win the game at the end of the day. Also, it's also not going to be by overstaffing your organization. We're looking for partners who are legitimately looking for ways to transform the way that their business even operates. And that's 
no more back office. We're not talking about a finance team that spends time uploading PODs and lumpers or going into Syncata or CAS to do invoice reconciliations. That's gone. Looking for companies who really want to evolve their business, not like incrementally, want to fully come in and transform it. Yep. And it's interesting. I said this before we hit record. A lot of times I look at the supply chain from order to cash. So from the time I get the order to the time I get paid, how long is that? So that's the way a lot of lean practitioners would look at the world, right? From the time you get the order to the time you get paid, that's what, and I, and if it's 10 weeks, I want to get it to four weeks because I, 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 I want more turns every year, right? That's how I want to get better, which means I got to take out every wasteful step. I have to take out anything that prevents me from making it faster, better, cheaper. And that's what you guys are kind of doing with technology. And 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 I'm probably really understating it, but is this like a workflow automation? Workflow automation would be a component of what we're doing. But what would be some other components of it? So we compete more with custom software. So like why while like a workflow might I'm gonna use like an example of like where a workflow would exist. So like let's say that in your TMS, there's statuses for like a BOL being uploaded. Traditionally, like if you were to look at a McLeod system, it would just give you a notification and, and it would tell you, hey, we haven't received a BOL. That's what the industry thinks is workflow automation. What we really should do is put a robot on that system to check it literally maybe 125 times a minute. If we haven't seen a BOL uploaded, automatically email dispatch with requesting it. When, e when dispatch responds, taking the invoice, uploading it into McLeod and emailing note, uh, emailing finance that it's been uploaded. One of the challenges that exists in the industry is that they're proactive. So how do we start to use automation to not, or so, sorry, they're reactive to everything. We want to use it to be proactive. So to your like quote to cash example, most 3PLs don't realize that they haven't get, gotten paid until 30 days after delivery, right? When the when they haven't gotten paid. That's a terrible model. That we need to completely move past it. And so I tend to not like to think of ourselves as like a workflow automation tool because what the industry thinks is a workflow is 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 maybe like 1% of what they really should be right. doing. Well, I think also what happens is, you know, if you, if you say, "Hey Joe, I want to automate the process that you're currently doing." Well, maybe that's limiting the technology and dragging the technology into human functions that how I work, right? And you need to really have a vision of, no, 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 we never needed Joe in the first place. This system can talk to this system. And you know, by the way, I got to tell you this, this gets back to our thinking generally that the world is already really using all this technology and being very successful. A uh, very large company, I had this conversation a few times lately, but I know it's still going on as a problem. Large large shipper, everyone would recognize the name, is not getting paid by a very large retailer, everyone would recognize that name, because they aren't able to provide a POD, proof of delivery. So imagine you drop off a very expensive product and then somehow we don't get a proof of delivery and you go, well, how can that possibly be? Well, the fact that they're calling me and asking about it tells me that it's not an easy thing for some reason to get that done. But I got to think that companies 
that are working with you are probably saying that is done like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's even worse. It gets as your three PLs get smaller, it's more fragmented. You might have to build a shipper a very specific way in the headline of an email. Include specific language. Include very specific details in the the uh, invoice. If you miss you might miss your payment cycle and they don't legally have to pay you at all. And so there are more challenges that exist in the industry than anyone is like willing to admit. That's why when I started our conversation, it's like no one really likes one another. Like you want to work with a large shipper, you're going to work with them the way that they want to work with you, you, that they want you to work with them straight up. That's how it works. Well, yeah. And uh, you hear I try not to have any complaining in my podcast. You hear different things about, oh, we don't like to work with this kind of company or that company. And you know, that's very real. But so you guys have created this technology platform. So what's the so what's the difference? I think I know the difference, but explain it. What's the difference between kind of custom software and a technology platform like yours? So we help JavaScript engineers write custom software faster. So there's some really fundamental flaws with custom software. If you build it and I have to edit it, impossible. If you build it and I have to like review it, it's impossible for me to really go in and change Joe's software. One of the things that also happens constantly is that these websites change constantly. And so if you write custom software, you have to go in and rewrite it over and over and over again. It's not viable. And so when you use a rapid application development platform to configure, you can actually speed up dev time, one, but two, it's, I can audit it, I can edit it, and I can go in and make minor tweaks and changes to be as fast as the market. It's not possible otherwise. So one of the things that's really interesting for our customers is that if they want to make a change to logic, let's say that there's you know, a snowstorm in Dallas tomorrow, they can shut off all, all OD pairings in and out of Dallas for picks tomorrow. We don't, they don't need to go to IT to do it. They can do it as a broker or pricing analyst or GM, et cetera. Interesting. It's, it does remind me when, when I was still um, doing some, some work in the space where we would use a developer and he would connect a TMS to some other system. And it was often very, very costly, those integrations. And also, if as things change, does that integration change with it? And what it sounds like to me is as the years go by, that integration becomes maybe old and maybe I need to switch systems, but I want to switch systems because I've got that that integration between my system and, the, and my customer system. And if I have a rapid development platform like yours, I don't have to worry about that. Am I right to say that? It's much faster. Interesting. It seems to me like the cost of creating software has dropped like a rock. And it seems like it's probably because of companies like yours that are developing platforms that say, we're not going to, we're going to connect you, but it's not going to be, I'm going to, this is probably the wrong term, but I'll say it anyway is we're not going to do it with brick and mortar. We're going to do it in a way that we, if we have to adjust it six months, we'll do it. If we have to adjust it tomorrow, we'll do it. So it's it's an ever-evolving technology scene, and we're, we're able to keep keep moving with it. Correct. And then in transportation logistics, the market's super dynamic, right? Like tomorrow it could change. You could have a natural disaster somewhere. You could have fuel rates that change. You could have, you know, 
bloodbath that exists and it changes capacity and rates change completely and it can happen overnight, you need to be able to make adjustments to automation overnight. So again, your perfect customer is one of these large 3PLs. Do you work with shippers at all? We work with some shippers. Most of the work that we do with shippers is on the warehousing side, not as much on the transportation side. There's more complex problems there. We're an engineering team. We like the complex problems. Excellent. Excellent. So is companies that engage with you, are these 10-week projects, six-month projects? Are they ongoing? How does this work? So most of them are evergreen. And it's primarily because there's so much that needs to be automated in the industry that we tend to become like a partner to that customer. And we end up continuing to do automation work with them until... So as soon as they see it in one area, they go, oh, dude, I want this over here too. Yeah, we were, we just had a meeting with one of our customers as a shipper and we started in transportation procurement. They're going now deeper into full procurement and it's primarily because the same exact problems that exist on transportation procurement also happen in sourcing raw materials, etc. And so it can really evolve rapidly on what we're going in and fixing. It's all needed. It's really to just increase efficiency. Excellent. Excellent. So I want to wrap this bad boy up. I got a few more questions for you though. First off, what's an answer in any order you want? What's next for you? What's next for AVRL? And then what's next for the industry, especially in regards to the stuff we've talked about, the technology, um, this technology changes? Yeah. So next for me, it's just scaling AVRL. We, we, don't have really any competition in the space for what we're doing. And so for us, we are just literally trying to build and scale as fast as possible. In terms of AVRL, we're going to spend a lot more time with carriers. Um, We'll spend a lot more time with uh, 3PLs and shippers on some new use cases that we're rolling out. We tend to test a use case with one customer, make sure that it's not just like an MVP, but it actually can add value before we scale it into the market. What was your third question? What's next for the industry, especially in regards to the use of technology and the automations and stuff we've talked about today? I mean, the industry, I'm not really sure. I think that, I think that because transportation is becoming more expensive, the shipper is actually going to pass more down to the 3PL. And I think that when you think of automation, 3PLs and 4PLs will become more similar to one another. I think it's natural. I think that with automation happening, the 4PLs can reduce reduce their costs massively. And I think that they'll be more enticing to large shippers. I think that that's what's next for the industry. Yeah, and I've said it before. I think we're going to see some sort of I think the companies they don't spend on technology are going to find it increasingly difficult to compete. Now, I think I'm an automotive guy originally, and I will say a lot of companies, my dad owned an engineering business, it changed. We used to work directly with the big three, and then all of a sudden you're working for the tier ones. And what happened over time is you just find yourself under one of the winners, right? You're now the company used to compete with, now you're working for them. I think that consolidation might look a little different than that. I think that... Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. (laughs) That uh, traditionally, that is how the 3PL market and carrier market has worked. But I think that some of the large players are reducing cost to carry so much right now that it's going to be really hard to compete with them on specific lanes. And I think that 3PLs are going to have to add more value to the shipper 
to be to be viable. Yeah, and I think we're going to see some changes to the model a little bit where we're going to see if this is a transaction cost as opposed to I made $1,000 on a lane or I lost 100 bucks on a lane. It's just going to be like this is how much. It's going to be more transparent because I think that's what shippers want. And I also, you know, we mentioned the use of technology. Warren Buffett does talk about this in regards to when the market went down. But he said when the when the tide goes out, you find out who's not wearing a bathing suit. And this, <laughs> And the same kind of applies to the use of technology. If if we start to have, uh, you know, rate compression in any way, you start to see who can compete and say, hey, look, margin compression, I should say. So if somebody says, hey, we can get by on very little margin because we're small or whatever, that could change very quickly with companies competing with technology. Yeah, and we'll see how that works out for startups, right? Most startups, like AVRL is extremely profitable. We've been profitable since like 2019. But one of the things that a lot of startups do is they work on 12-month funding cycles. And so a lot of those companies have been overextended. And by the end of the year, those funding cycles will come due. If they have to take down rounds, they they won't be in the market. And what a, what a down round means is I raise money. But usually when you're raising money, you say, I just sold 10% of my company for a million dollars, so we're worth $10 million. Now the next money that comes in, they say, We'll give you $500,000 and we want 10% of the company. Now you're saying, oh, we're not a $10 million company. Now we're a $5 million company. And that's got to be a, a, a painful process. And then sometimes I worked, for a, I worked for a company in Silicon Valley where the founders quit. And I remember saying, well, what do you mean they quit? Somebody says they don't have enough equity in the, in the company to stay anymore. And I was like. And I was like, uh, I'm from Detroit. I don't know. We, just, <laughs> we, we, we work places or, or we own the place, but like nobody quits the company they own. So one other thing I wanted to ask you, who, I like to interview smart people like yourself, interesting people like yourself. What smart, interesting person should I interview on the logistics of logistics? I'm going to have to text him right after this just as a heads up. But <laughs> there's a new company in the freight market called Highway. And Highway is doing some really interesting thing to prevent fraud within the industry. I think it's probably one of the most prolific problems for 3PLs, shippers, and carriers. And the CEO of that company, his name is Jordan Graff. And I think they launched... In, I don't know when it was, June. I was in Aruba with him for an event for Edge Logistics, and he announced his company, and I think that they're doing really incredible things. Damn, how do you get invited to logistics conferences in Aruba? (laughs) (laughs) I just got to know the right people, I guess. I guess so, man. (laughs) I'm not being critical of any other locations, but that seems like the one to be at. So, um. Let's wrap this bad boy up. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll also put a link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. And so people can reach out and talk to you. I love what you guys are doing because it feels like, just from our conversation, and again, I'm not a techie, it does feel like we have a lot of gaps in in that. And we eventually want to get to that order to cash end to end where we can start to have that digital twin and start to do some scenario planning. We are a long way from doing that because we have all these gaps between all of our cool systems. And by the way, I've said this before to you before. We, when I worked at a company, we were at a TMS off the shelf and we were selling it to people. And 
they looked at me like I was Steve Jobs. I was like, look at me. Look what I'm selling. This is this solves all your problems. We have a TMS. And then shortly after that, you go, well, wouldn't it be cool if it connected to the ERP <laughs> system or the water management system? And same, I imagine the same thing was happening with WMS and every one of these systems. We have to have a way to connect, again, order to cash. That's, what's ex- that's what the shippers expect of us. And we're not quite there yet. Yeah, it, it's hard. I think that there are, there's really great technology entering the field and a lot of it is very future and what my company is really trying to do is like solve today's problem today and i think that that there's needs to be more companies in the market that are really here to solve today's problem today otherwise we won't get to that future state yep so if i interview you one year from today it will it won't say 60 million shipments the technology that automated 60 million shipments it'll say the automation that how many shipments i don't know what that will say <laughs> i have no idea i i you know we might have a new topic of even use cases in a year from now likely but you said you're growing like a weed you guys will have quite a few shipments yeah went through the i think last year we grew like revenue by about 130 percent we're tracking and you guys are vc backed right yep we're we're venture backed very nice very nice well congratulations on your success and i'm not so sure i fully understand what you're (laughs) doing but but it all sounds really good (laughs) so chad thank you so much for coming on my podcast awesome thank you so much yep and thank all of you for coming and listening to my podcast your support's very much appreciated until next time onward and upward You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.